0: Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter six, verses 45 to 56. We're calling this treading upon the waters. This is following the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the lake, and he saw alone, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came toward them early in the morning, walking on the lake. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified." But immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid.' Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. And when they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about the whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. There ends the reading of God's word for this morning. Welcome again to Weston Park Baptist Church as we continue on in our series of the Gospel of Mark. Last week we uh, considered the great story of the feeding of the 5,000 and remember the issue we're looking at is what is the identity of Jesus who is Jesus and we're considering you know the stories of different people responding how do they see Christ and are they coming in faith, or a lack of faith, belief, no belief? This is what Mark is trying to get after. And in reality, every story is a, uh, a possibility of new beginnings. It's a possibility of saying yes. Yes, opening your hands in faith, or keeping your hands closed, your fists closed. So what is our response? So the feeding of the 5,000, all of those folk, you know, what is their response to Jesus? What's in this opportunity, what happens? The same with the disciples each time. What's their response? So it's, it's to seize the opportunity that we have. So for us, from week to week, we have this opportunity to say yes to Jesus in our hearts and minds. For us as a community of faith here at Weston to say yes. Will we seize the opportunity say yes to the Kairos moment that is before us? So in this post-Easter time leading up to Pentecost, how are we saying yes? How are we opening our hearts to, to Christ? So with that in mind, we carry on from the uh, story of the feeding of the 5,000 and it starts up Verse 45, Mark 6, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. (coughs) Interesting, Mark likes to use this word immediately. There's a lot of action in the book of Mark, the first gospel, and immediately moves the text forward each time we see that word. So it's interesting, after the feeding of the 5,000, why does Jesus want to quickly, immediately, get his disciples into the boat to move away from the area and to go across to another portion of the lake? What's the hurry? Why would he want to do that? And so as we just start reflecting about this unit, I think we see Jesus is going to pray so that'll be the first big theme but we get a hint of why he asked the disciples to leave quickly in the version that we have in the Gospel of John remember that the narrative of the feeding of the 5,000 happens in all four Gospels but in John it says this when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king he withdrew again to the mountain by himself so John gives us that detail They want to, by force, to make him king. And so there is a hint here as to why Jesus asked his disciples to leave right away. And I think part of it is, and commentators have suggested this, that there there is a nationalistic fervor going on. How is our response? What is our response to to the invading Roman Empire that's taken over our land? What's our response? And there is a whole group of zealots who want to, to fight the Romans and to kick them out. But, of course, the problem is the Roman Empire was massive, and the people in Israel could not kick them out. But there still is this nationalistic fervor. You can think of Russia and Ukraine right now, the Ukrainian response, a lot of nationalism on actually both sides, the Russian and the Ukrainian Uh, thought processes that are happening. Well, some of that is going on here. And so they want to make Christ king. They see him as a possible warrior messiah who would take up the cause for Israel and drive the Romans out. And he's afraid, Christ is, that is, that the, the disciples might get caught up in this that he doesn't want them to get caught up in this because this is not the path that they are pursuing. So immediately he gets them in the boat and off they go. So there is a dismissing of the disciples for that reason. And then secondly, then we see so Jesus is now left with the crowd and he now dismisses the crowd. And so he responds to their we don't get all the words that are said but he's responding to this fervor and he's basically saying no that's not my calling that's not why I'm here and he somehow is able to quietly send the crowd off to calm their hearts and minds he will not take up the role of warrior messiah. And this is a subtle temptation for Christ because Christ was tempted in the desert earlier in the Gospel of Mark and one of them was to take up a position of power. And so I think there is this is kind of a, you know, a, a theme that Christ has to deal with. You know, he could be powerful. He could drive out the Romans. But he, he knows that's not his calling. He won't do it. That's not his vocation. But the temptation is there. And so for many people in our world, there's this temptation for power. Power over. You know, and it's not limited to just politicians. It can be in institutions and businesses or universities or departments. It can be in families. Who has the power and the power over? Parents over children. So teams, whatever it might be position of power over and Christ will not take this he doesn't want it and he dismisses the crowd and his response after that we're told he goes up to the mountain to pray we see all of this happening um, in verse 30 Jesus going up the mountain to pray The mountain, a place to meet God, a symbol for meeting God. We see this in the Old and New Testament. So the mountain is this place to meet, connect with God. So Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. He sends the disciples away. Why? Because he wants some silence. He wants some solitude, and he wants to meet God. And it's interesting here that... There are no uh, words used in this prayer. We're just told that he prays. And so maybe that's an indication that there aren't words that are happening, but Jesus is sitting in the presence of God, just sitting, quiet, silent, solitude, being fortified in his mind, in his spirit, by being in the presence of God. And so for us, you know, we, we also need this. We need this practice of sitting in the presence of God of of feeding our souls and we feed our souls through the scriptures and we also feed our souls by prayer our conversation being with God very very important and it's a discipline we you know we really ought to be developing nurturing to sit in God's presence in some way to be strengthened That is, to get off the treadmill of life, you know what I mean? To stop just running, 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 running. But to take time aside and to be encouraged and to listen for God's voice. What is that word for us? As a society, we're not very good at this. Even the church generally is not very good at this. We live in an extroverted society, a busy society. We we are committed to utility and utilitarian practices. We want to achieve. It's all about achieving, 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 being busy. But that needs to be balanced by listening for God's voice and we hear it with the prophets and we certainly see it with Jesus. Jesus wants to sustain and to nurture his own relationship with the Father. So we are invited in the same way. So the the story begins with that. They've had this amazing experience of feeding of the 5,000, but it quickly changes, and Jesus senses his own need for prayer, and he wants the disciples in in a moment to do the same. So even as the woman at the well asks for water that will fill her up, that will satisfy her in a full way. So we are invited to drink and to eat from Christ and to hear his voice. So that's the first scene. Prayer, Jesus on the mountain. He sends his disciples off. So then the text picks up, verses 47, 48. When evening came, the boat was out on the lake, and he was alone on the land. So he sees his disciples... Lake of Galilee, he's up on a mountain looking over, he could see them out there. And when he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the lake, and he intended to pass them by. So he sees the disciples out there, having a hard time against, throwing against this wind, strong wind. And so Jesus, as the master, Jesus as the Lord, decides that he's going to come and to help them, to assist them. And what we have here really is a bit of a theophany of of Jesus demonstrating his own connection with God and walking upon the water, even as God in the Old Testament treads upon the water and divides the, the Red Sea and so on. Here we have Jesus coming. So he sees that they are in a struggling position and he wants to come to help. And we can say right there that Jesus also wants to help us. He wants to help you. Whatever the issues are that are going on in your life, your struggles, if you know Christ, Christ is your friend and he is there to help you, assist you. As your true shepherd. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. So here Jesus comes along to encourage his disciples. And when the disciples see him, you know, it, it's the sun is going down. It may be well down at this point. And it is well down. And Jesus starts walking on the water and coming to them. And the disciples see and they think that this figure out there is a ghost. And the word, the Greek word actually is for. The word we get phantom from. They, they're terrified by this phantom, this water demon. All the mythology and the water mythology of the day. That was part of the Israeli culture as well. And they, the, the sailors, the disciples are afraid. They think this is a ghost or a phantom. And they yell out and they're terrified. And Jesus' response is, is important in verse 50. 50 immediately he speaks to them and he says take heart or be encouraged it is I do not be afraid and the word it is I is actually the the Greek word I am and so even as God referred to himself in his relationship with Moses centuries earlier when he says I am Moses says what is your name God's response is I am and Jesus uses the same language here Ego, Amy, I am. And then follows that with do not fear. I am, do not fear. And so then he gets into the boat with them, and the wind calms down, and he's able to get them to shore. So Jesus' word to them and to us is the same I am. I is the personal pronoun. Ego, ego, I am. And God is there for us and Jesus is there for us as I am. And a result of that is that we do not have to live in fear. But we can live in trust and we can live in confidence as we sit in the presence of God and sit in the presence of Jesus and carry Jesus with us. And So the reality is, is we are never alone because we travel with Jesus. If we claim that for ourselves, if we claim that relationship. If we just kind of hold back and do our own thing, well, then we're going to feel alone. But God comes to us in Christ so that we won't feel alone, that we will know that he is with us no matter what the situation is. That's what we get here in this story. And so will we claim that? Will we claim that relationship? I am. Do not fear. Jesus says to them, he says to us. Thomas Kelly writes in his wonderful little book, A Testament of Devotion, he says, Our real problem in failing to center down is not a lack of time. It is, I fear, in too many of us, lack of joyful, enthusiastic delight in him. Lack of deep, deep drawing love directed toward him at every hour of the day and night. I think this is an insightful statement by Kelly. Because we'll often hear folks saying, well, I just don't, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. I don't have time to develop my life with, in the spirit, my interior life. And we, we put it down to a lack of time. And Kelly's saying, no, it's, it's not really about time, it's about will. It's about what do you really want. If you want or I want to develop our interior life, then we will make the time to do so. It's not really about a lack of time. So do we want to be in the presence of Jesus? Do we want to say yes? That's how this story is is going. So Jesus in prayer, then Jesus coming to assist his disciples and encourage them and to tell them that, you know, things are okay. But it's interesting in verse 52, Mark slips in this statement, and at first we don't really get it. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. In verse 52. They get into the boat, the wind ceases, they're utterly astounded, and then Mark slips this in. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And so what Mark is doing is connecting this scene with the previous scene of the feeding of the 5,000. And what he's saying is you're not getting the connection here. You're not getting the connection that Jesus comes to us to feed our souls, as John says in John 6, to be the bread of life. So I am not here, Jesus is saying, simply as a wonder worker, but I am here to connect us and to connect you to God, That's the deeper issue, to open ourselves up to God, not to just see me as a miracle worker. But the disciples are having a hard time with this. Mark says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened, which basically means they're living on a surface level and they're not really getting what things are about on a deeper level. That Jesus comes to be the bread of life to feed their hearts and minds as the bread of life. and So he wants to today as well. And so as Mark says that, he, he points us in a direction in terms of some of the challenges and spiritual challenges that we face today. And one of them is hardness of heart. Of course, in the Old Testament, we think of Pharaoh as having a hard heart. And hard heart means really a lack of spiritual perception It's just not having the eyes or our heart open. We're just seeing things too too surface-like. And so our heart gets hard and spiritual truth just bounces off. It's like a force shield and it just bounces away. Hardness of heart, Mark says, about the disciples. And so we also can have this lack of spiritual perception, any of us. Doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, any of us, self-included, we can definitely move in such a way that our hearts get hard and we spiritually fall asleep. And that's why there's this call, a continual call to wake up, to wake up, to wake up. So our own hardness of heart and secondly, another challenge is smallness of faith. A failure to be open to God's work in our midst now. What does God want for you now? What does God want for our church now? And too often we can, we just close the circle too tight. Smallness of faith, hardness of heart, smallness of faith. Those are challenges we face today. So finally we get to the last scene. They make it to the other side. And now it's a whole new ever, a whole new area, and note what Mark says, and wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, that is the Agora's, and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his coat, and all who touched it were healed. The point being here that these people are receptive. These people are saying yes. The people of Gennariset are receptive to the presence of Jesus. In fact, they rush to take advantage of Jesus' presence. And they bring out their friends who are ill, and they place them on the street just so that they can touch the edge of Jesus' garments, even as the woman with the hemorrhage did in an earlier story. So they have open hearts, open minds, receptive to the truth and receptive to Jesus. This is a contrast to Nazareth, remember, when Christ visited his hometown, and now his disciples with hard hearts, Here these people are saying yes. And so the point being here, they are taking advantage of the opportunity before them. Jesus is passing by, if you like, and they are saying, yes, we want to be with Jesus. We don't want to miss our chance. The goal for us is not to miss our chance when Jesus passes by. So as we sum up this unit, we see prayer as our interior sustenance. Jesus himself praying wants us to pray in the same way to grow our interior lives. Secondly, the presence of Jesus overcoming fear. Whatever your fears you're carrying, Jesus is there for you and for me, his presence. But we need to sit in his presence. Then finally, there's this prize. Jesus is our opportunity to go deeper. He is the pearl of great price. He is our prize. So we need to look beyond just the stuff of this world and all the comfort and all the convenience and want to go deeper in our relationship with our creator and our redeemer. That's what Mark is saying. Jesus is saying the same. He wants you. He wants me to open our hearts and minds and say yes. So may we do that as we sit in Christ's presence, as we listen for God's voice, and as we claim him as the pearl of great price, we say these words in Jesus' name, amen.